0: and that's working and I have a Bible here somewhere and I'll turn with you to 2 Samuel 24 do you know the lily of the valley? have you met him? is he blooming? is he blooming in your life? is he blooming in your heart? in your mind? Uh, are you surrendered? your heart, your life your time, your talent, everything that you are to everything that He is. I see a few faces that slip in the door after I was going around shaking hands and welcoming. I just want you to know if you're visiting with us, we love you. We appreciate you coming and visiting with us. Hope that you'll be able to come back and visit with us any time that you have. But uh, what I want to talk to you this morning is about is, is a, a fearful thing. A fearful thing. You know what it says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31, I believe. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. An angry God. Did you know that God, the Bible says that God is angry every day at sin. That's an amazing thing to me every time I contemplate that. Every time I think about God being angry all the time. How would you like to be angry, just angry all the time? But you see, God has the ability, being God, uh, one of the perks, I guess, of being angry all the time, and yet still being happy and joyful and loving and kind and gracious and merciful, as well as wrathful and vengeful and, and uh, judgmental. He, he judges people in their sin. If you look at the first verse, I know we're going to start uh, in verse 1 and go through verse 14, But in verse 1, it says this, And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Now, God's angry all the time. But sometimes that anger that He has is kindled. Now, what that means is that anger that He has turns into a rage from time to time. My friend, you want anything in your life other than the rage of God to come against you. And it says, the, uh, again, the anger of the Lord was kindled or turned into a flaming fire against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, go and number Israel or Judah. Now, I hope I have that telephone on do not disturb because I see my watch is ringing. But uh, nevertheless, I'm going to let it end but it says that uh, God, God moved David to, to cause him to number Israel. Now, that was a commandment really that God had already given the nation of Israel not to trust in the arm of flesh, not to number their, their military, not to number... Uh, that, that's really what it was about was numbering their, their power, their might. And the Bible here says that God moved David... To number the people in Israel. But if you'll look over at a different verse in First Chronicles chapter 21 and 1, it says that the devil moved David or tempted David or caused David to go and number the people of Israel. And now that almost seems like a contradictory in scriptures, doesn't it? A lot of people have an issue with that. Not me. I believe I look at it as a clarification. It's kind of like how God used Satan in Job's life to move against Job and to do the things that took place in Job's life. I, I think of, of a, a couple. I remember Balaam and how Balaam wanted the money. That people had offered him to to prophesy against the nation of Israel, and he said, "Oh no, no, I can't, I can't do that." But uh, he got to thinking about it real hard. Well, how can I, how can I not be disobedient to God, and yet still get the money? You know, I want that money, and he he slept on it, and he thought about it, and he thought. And he said, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll go to the people who's offering me the money and I'll tell them that if they'll go to Israel and cause Israel to sin, then God will come against Israel because of their sin. Where do you think he got that thought? From the devil. You see, my friend, I want you to realize something. The devil wants you to sin against God so God will come against you. And Satan will use anything... Anything that will allow God or cause God to be unhappy or displeased with you to where he will come against you and instead of the blessings of God in your life, the wrath of God, the anger of God is kindled in our hearts. Now, certainly God allowed, God didn't call Satan, but God allowed Satan. Satan already had a desire to come against Job. Satan already had a desire. To come against Israel. God knew that and He unleashed Satan in their lives. The same thing. You know, it says again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. It doesn't tell us why God was angry against Israel. So sometimes I don't know why God's upset with me because I have sin that I don't even realize is there. You have the sins of commission, you have the sins of omission. And the sins of commission are when you do things that you know you shouldn't do. I commit a sin. But the sins of omission are probably even greater in volume and maybe even greater in well detriment to our joy and livelihood because we don't realize the things that we should do that we don't do. Those things are sin as well. And my friend, the wrath of God is sometimes stirred up Against us for not doing the things that we should do as well as doing the things that we know we shouldn't do. I'm just saying that God allows Satan to come against us in our lives. And to allow us to forget and to not do. And to sometimes even intentionally do. You know, the Bible says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. Forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. What is that? That's coming together when the doors of the church are open to worship and to bring glory and honor to God. Now, to not do what we know we should do is just as simple as doing the things that we know we shouldn't and sometimes the wrath of God is kindled, not only against an individual for not doing it, but against a group of people, the whole nation of Israel. God was angry at them. And He unleashed Satan in their life. It was a subtle temptation that uh, that was moved. He wasn't very uh, open to the whole group, but uh, He tempted David to go and to number the nation of Israel. And when David went and did what he knew he shouldn't do, then the wrath of God came down not only on David, but on the whole nation of Israel. Now, there's a a poem Uh, by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. I'm not going to quote it exactly, but it, it, it reads similar to this. Weak and feeble hands may touch God's great hand while groping blindly in the darkness. Now what that means is sometimes we feel blindly in the darkness for what it is that we're trying to do. And it's not always a good thing. The things that we're trying to do. The thing that David was trying to do was not a good thing. He was trusting in the flesh rather than in the arm or in the hand of God. And yet, while he was groping blindly to find out just how powerful the nation of Israel was, he happened to graze or to bump the hand of a holy and righteous God who had told him not to put his faith, his confidence in the flesh. Sometimes we too are guilty of the very thing That David was guilty of here. He, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 says this it's not by might, and of course, that's the numbering that David was doing. He was, he was testing, he was checking, he was finding out just how mighty or how powerful his arm was. Not by might nor by power, that's the human influence, but by my spirit saith the Lord Zechariah chapter four verse six is very similar it teaches us to count our blessings and to count on his God's promises but to count on our wisdom and our strength and our knowledge my friend I want you to realize that is a broken crutch that you're leaning on to lean on the flesh to lean on self to lean on even the power of America and our uh, military might. My friend, I want you to realize as mighty as the military of America is, it pales in comparison to the power of Satan when God unleashes him on a nation or on a home or a family or a church or a, or a nation like America, much less the world itself. The flesh will fail you And it will cause you to fail God as well. When we put our confidence and our trust in the flesh, in humanity, then of course the flesh that we're trusting is, is naturally going to fall short But in falling short, it causes us to fall short of the glory of God. And this is really not about us. It's not about the nation of Israel. It's not about the nation of America. It's not about Lake St. John Baptist Church. It's not about your home or your family. And it's certainly not about us as individuals. This is all about the glory and the honor of God. When we take our eyes off of Him and put them on anything else, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's our military might or our our intellectual prowess or our money or whatever it is that we might think we could have confidence in, God will see to it that that confidence is crushed. Well, not only do we see the subtle temptation, but we all so see the full confession. You look again at verse 1. It says again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and He moved David uh, against them. To say. See, it wasn't just against David, but it was against them to say. And sometimes God uses individual men to judge groups of people. Go number the nation of Israel and Judah. It was a reunited group under David. For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, Go now through the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. And Joab. Uh, said unto the king, uh, Now the Lord thy God add unto the people how many soever they be, a hundredfold, and that the eyes of my Lord the king may see it. But why doth my Lord the king delight in this thing, notwithstanding the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the captains And of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. Sometimes we do things in the face of the warning of good people telling us, man, listen, I hear what you're saying, but you better be careful because what it is that you're doing is going to draw the attention and not just the attention of God in a good way, but the attention, the wrath of God in a bad way. And yet, even though they pleaded with King David, the Bible says that the voice of the king overrode the voice of those that argued with him. And they passed over Jordan and pitched in uh, Aurora on the uh, right side of the city that lieth in the midst of the river of Gad and towards uh, Jazer. Then they came to Gilead uh, and to the land of to Himash and they came to Dan Danjan uh and about Zidon. "...and came to the stronghold of Tyr, and to all the cities of the Hivites, and to the Canaanites. And they went out uh, to the south of Judah, even to Beersheba. And when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. And Joab gave the sum, or the number, of the people unto the king. And there were in Israel eight hundred thousand valiant men that drew the sword." And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. So that was a total of 1,300,000 men. And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, Lord, I have, I have sinned greatly in, that I, in what I have done. And now I beseech Thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of Thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now I want you to skip down and look at verse 17 as well. I'll have to turn the page. It says, And David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned. I have done wickedly. But the sheep, the nation of Israel, what have they done? You see, David wasn't even aware of the sin that the nation of Israel, remember what it says in verse 1, that the anger of the Lord was kindled against the nation of Israel. Not so much against David, but God used David to chastise the people that God's wrath was stimulated at. But these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's House, You see the subtle temptation that God allowed Satan to bring to pass in David's life to number the people. That the wrath of God be poured out on the people. But you also see the full confession of David's heart. The Bible says that David's heart smote him in verse 10. Smote him. Have you ever had your heart smite you? Have you ever felt the hand of God just reach out and grab you by the heart and squeeze it like a handful of grapes and you realize, "Uh uh-oh, boy, what I have done is sin against a holy and righteous God. I've not sinned just against the nation of Israel. I've not sinned just against the people of God. But I've sinned against the God of the people. And when He did it and the number came back to it, even though the people that went out and numbered, those are the same people that said, David, you better think about this. Before you do it, before you send us, before we go and do your bidding, you better think about what it is that you're sending us to do because you are going to pet the cat in the wrong direction. By the way, you're petting the wrong cat, sir. You're petting the cat that can control everything in this universe. And you're going to draw His wrath. And David sent them anyway. And yet immediately when they brought back the number to Him, God, the Holy Spirit, smote His heart after He had numbered the people. And He said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly. You know, I believe that when David confessed and repented, and I believe asked God for forgiveness of his sins, I believe that right then, the wrath of God had been cooled. Maybe not completely, but that David turning from his sin and turning to God, that's called repentance. It's not just, it's, just not, it's not just turning to God and confessing and asking for forgiveness, but it's turning away from what you did and wishing that you had never done that. Would to God, if I could, I'd go back and undo it. But I can't undo it. So God, from now on, I promise, I'll never do that again if you'll just have mercy. My friend, I'll tell you what, God's wrath is always mixed with Mercy. If it weren't, then all of us sitting in this room here this morning would already be in a lake of fire where we deserve to be. I don't know if you realize that, but you deserve the wrath of God. We deserve hell for eternity for the sin that we've committed against God. I've said it before, say it again, that it's an amazing thing to me that God didn't kill me in my sleep last night for the sin that I committed against Him yesterday. We all sin, for all have sinned against Him. God, against the glory of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. Well, I want you to realize that maybe much of our failure in the past and even now has been due to the measuring of our own capacity. We measure our own capabilities. We measure our own ability. We measure our own strength. Even to the point of ignoring the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. We number our organizations. We number our meetings. We number our people. I have a pretty good head count of how many people are in this room. But my friend, do you realize that numbers are God's business? It's not how many people that are sitting on the pews of your church that matter. It's not how many dollars there are in the plate. That matters very little to God. Oh, God counts, counts that and He's watching how we give and what we give and who comes and who doesn't show up. All of those things, they're important to God. But see, numbers is God's game. It shouldn't be our game. That should not be where we keep our focus. Everybody thinks the blessings of God comes in numbers, but my friend, that's not true. The blessings of God comes in spiritual maturity and understanding. The blessings of God comes when God moves in your heart and leads you and guides you and directs you into a path of holiness and righteousness that we might submit our lives to Him and follow Him in truth. You see, it's all about the Word of God. It's all about the commandments of God and us being holy and faithful to what God has commanded us to do. But we number our organizations, meetings, people, our dollars. But how much do we actually count the power of God in our life? You see, when we count the things in our life, the power of God in our life comes off. But when we leave that up to God... God, listen, how many people show up? How much money's in the plate? All of those things, Lord, that is, that is your business. It's none of my business. And then the hand of God comes back. The blessings of God come back into your life when you keep your heart, your mind, your focus, everything that you are focused on God and His glory. When God gets the glory, my friend, you cannot outgive God. Thirdly, we see not only the subtle temptation and the full confession of David. But we see the terrible offer we left off in verse 10. We'll pick up in verse 11 of chapter 24. And it says this, For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad. And Gad was David's seer, his prophet, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in the land? Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? Now I want you to realize something. David was not ignorant To what famine, especially a seven year famine, drought, where there was no water, no rain would do to his people. He'd seen droughts before. And believe this, that David was no stranger from running from his enemies. You remember Saul chasing after him through the mountains trying to kill him for years. Or will you flee three months, just three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? Or that there be three days of pestilence in the land. Now, I want you to realize something. This thing called COVID-19 that we've been experiencing, you know how many people at, at its height were killed by that pestilence during three days? You look it up on the internet. I'm not going to share it with you. You do a little homework. But I'll guarantee you that a pestilence can kill some folks. What kind, of, what kind of choice was that that David had been given by God? Now advise and see what answer I shall return unto him that sent me. Sent me, thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. I'm going to give you, you you confessed, you repented and here's what I'm going to do for you, David. instead of me just pouring down my wrath on the nation, I'm going to give you three choices as to what you want to do. My friend, my question to you is out of those choices, which one would you pick? What would you choose when you're talking about seven years of drought? Three months of running before your enemies, or three days of pestilence. David looked at that, and my friend, I want you to realize, he did not know what to do. He he said, I am in a strait. It reminds me of what Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I'm in a strait betwixt the two. That's exactly what David said, I am in a great strait. Between these three things, not knowing, as Paul said in Philippians, not knowing what, I shall choose. David David couldn't make up his mind. He says, man, if I do this, if I do that, if I do the other, well, it's really not going to make much difference. Because God is ultimately going to have His will and His way. The wages, my friend, I want you to realize something. The wages of... Sin is death. No matter which sin you choose, no matter what lifestyle you choose over surrendering your heart and your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it's a terrible choice. No matter which direction that you go, no matter which choice that you choose, every one of them ends in the the path of death. The wage of sin is death. But the gift of God, we are thankful, is eternal life. The three judgments are most suggestive of the fruit of disobedience and dishonoring God. You have soul hunger, you have soul defect, and you have soul disease. In those three things. The soul hunger is the, the, the drought that comes down for seven years and nobody gets to eat because there's no food. You have the soul defect because of the defect of sin has caused my enemies to pursue me. For three months, my soul is defective, but you have soul disease, the pestilence God does not promise to give us Our choice as to how He will chasten us for our pride and for our arrogance and for our unbelief. But listen, we had better take heed lest there be in any of us a heart of unbelief. You remember that verse in the New Testament that just because you see what God is doing in others and you don't see it happening in you, we had better take heed to what is going on in David's life lest the same thing take place in our very own lives. You see the subtle temptation, the full confession, and a terrible, horrible choice that he had to make, the the terrible offer that God had given him. But lastly, you notice the God-honoring choice that David made. You look at verse 14. And David said unto Gad, I am in a strait. Betwixt the three, not betwixt the two as Paul was. Let us fall now into the hands of the Lord. Do you understand what he's saying? Man, I, I am not going to trust me. I'm not going to trust my flesh. I'm not going to trust my intellect. I'm not going to trust my my wisdom or my knowledge as to which of those three things I'm going to choose Oh no, as soon as I choose one, I'll realize that it was the wrong one because all I did is invoke the wrath of God more greatly and more harshly against me because instead of trusting God, I'm trusting my own intellect. I'm still trusting in the flesh. He says, oh no, let us fall now into the hand of the Lord for His mercies are great and let me not fall into the hand Of man. I've already made that mistake. I don't want to make the same mistake. With the same God. Twice. David had sinned against God. In choosing to number the people. But now. He would honor God. In allowing God to choose for him. The chastisement. Knowing. That God will be merciful. He will mix. Mercy and grace. With wrath, judgment, and chastisement. But my friend, we have got to use our heads. We've got to think about what it is that we're doing and when it is that we're doing it. God's mighty hand is uplifted to smite him. He has drawn the sword and is about to peel him asunder. I think of Balaam as he's about, you know, he's riding through the narrow place on the donkey. And the angel of the Lord is hiding on the backside of the rock holding a flaming sword of wrath and judgment of God against Balaam for what he has done. And the, the donkey sees the angel, but, but Balaam doesn't see him. And the donkey won't go through. He's I ain't going through there. He said it in his mind. Later he talks to Balaam. But Balaam's kicking him and spurring him and he gets off and he starts beating him and finally the donkey just lays down and he says, the donkey, speaking to Balaam in man's voice. He says, why are you beating me? I have never done anything but good for you. I'm trying to keep you from losing your head. There's an angel hiding behind that rock. God's waiting to take your life. Do you understand that we had better see The unseeable. We had better see the hand of God. I see it. I see it in the wrath of God against this nation. I see it in the hand of God against my own sin. Personal sin. And everything in between from world sin to personal sin, we see a whole world living in rebellion against a holy and righteous God. And the wrath of God is coming down on that. And David saw that and he'd cry out for mercy from God. He'd rather anchor his soul in the mercies of God than in the flesh in the sin-hating God than fall refuge to His mercy rather than the wrath of God that would come because of His decisions. You know, I want you to realize something. That... uh Straight as the gate, and is the way that leads to righteousness. Few there be that find it. You know the reason that they find It's because God turns their light on. God turned David's light on here. See, God unleashed Satan. Satan went to David. David was tempted. David fell to the temptation. While in temptation, he would not have any other way. He wouldn't listen to reason. He wouldn't listen to counsel. The Bible says that in many counselors there's wisdom. Amen. Uh, but but not if we are, are dead set. We have our hearts and our minds made up. We will not have this man to rule over us. We turn each and every one his own way. God lay on Him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And When we wake up, when we realize that straight is the gate and narrow is the way and few there be that find it. And the only ones that find it are the ones that God turns their light on. Illuminates, regenerates, and draws them to Himself. And God illuminated David, and David fell on his face. David was a man after God's own heart, even though he was a sinner man. We are all sinner men. But we had better find our place at the feet of Jesus Christ. And when we cry out for mercy, mercy, even even God, even Jesus, cried out to the Father. Lord, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Thine be done. Lord, if there's only three ways and all three of them are, are horrible, every one of them is going to hurt, and I realize that the wage of sin is death, and there's going to be 70,000 men at the end of this story, that when God makes the choice, He chooses the three days of pestilence. And he sends an angel of the Lord to the nation of Israel. And the angel of the Lord smites the nation of Israel with a pestilence that ends... No, it was 700,000 men, if I'm not mistaken, that die in that 70 or 700. You look, uh, my memory's playing. It's one or the other. But it's a lot of people one way or the other. And He he turns and the angel starts instead of to the nation of Israel, He starts to go to Judah and and slay people there or to, to, to the city of Jerusalem. God stays His hand and stops Him. He says, it's enough. It's enough. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Remember, we're dealing in the Old Testament. Aren't you glad? That the shedding of one man's blood, one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, satisfied the wrath of God against his people forever. If we will confess and repent and turn from our ways, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and the wrath of God that rained down on the nation of Israel does not have to rain down on us as an individual or as a church or as a nation or as a world if we will confess and repent and turn from our wicked, the Bible says, our wicked ways. If we'll put our faith and our confidence and our trust in Him. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. And I'll finish with this. The wage of sin is death. But the gift of God. Boy, isn't that good? The wage of sin is death, but... Whew. Boy, I catch a breath right there. Just from behind that one word. The wage of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Many people have died because of someone else's sin. In this story, many people died. We, we look at the world ever since Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And many people have died because of Adam's sin. But my friend, there is only one that has died for, not because of, but there's only been one that died for our sin. I beseech thee therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto Him, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect Will of God. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? My friend, it's not three separate things. It is that you might surrender your heart and your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your love and Your mercy. God, we know that You are a jealous God. You are still a jealous God. There is no variance. There is no shadow of turning in You. You are still the same today, yesterday, and forever. You are still jealous over Your people. Help us, God, to realize that we kindle Your wrath. We kindle Your jealousy when we turn away from Your Word to the things of the flesh, to the things of the world. When we count on those rather than counting on You. Help us, O God, to confess and to repent, to turn that the wrath that You pour out might not be too harsh in our lives. God will praise you for that. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Then I ask you to take.